0: But before we continue in that today, there was something that I just really wanted to to share with all of you, that I felt like was important to share with all of you. Um, Over these last few weeks, we have really been sensing the Holy Spirit very, very present um, here here with us when when we gather together and worship as a church. I've been feeling that very, very... Tangibly, we've had conversations amongst the staff about how we just feel like the Lord is very present in a new and fresh way and working and moving us towards something good that we are still kind of discerning. Um, And I know some of you have felt that too. I know some of us have had conversations about that. And last week, when we were in a time of worship together and we were kind of in a in a less planned extended time of singing together, I felt this very very strong impression that the Holy Spirit was speaking over us. This is mine. This is mine. And it was um, it was this declaration that He alone has authority in this place. That He alone has authority in our lives, that he has no rival or equal, and that whatever other powers may be at work in this city, in this neighborhood, in this building, within our church, within our families, within our own lives, that he alone has the ultimate authority and that he has territory that he is inviting us into that already belongs to him, that is That he's already gone ahead and prepared, that his power is already present there, and that we can have courage to follow him forward into this territory that he has prepared. And we will continue to see if we are willing to surrender to his spirit, that we will continue to see his hand moving among us, that we will see hope and healing and liberation and wholeness and redemption. And I wanted to make sure to speak that before we enter into this time of learning through the book of Acts today because that's what we're learning about. We're learning about when the Holy Spirit was first given to His people. We're going to continue to learn how He worked through this early Christian community. And I think it's really important for us to remember that the Spirit of God is still present and he is still working. And if we are surrendered to him, we are going to see his power and his glory displayed among us. Now, today we're going to finish up the end of Acts chapter two, where we get to see this picture of what life practically looked like for the first Christians, for this early new forming church, right after the Holy Spirit was given to them. So I would like to pray and then we're going to get into the passage and talk about that today. So let's pray. Father, would you quiet our hearts? Would you still the busyness in our minds? Would you help us to breathe deeply and receive from you? Would you remove distractions and frustrations, the things that push us down and hold us back from just being free to enter into your presence? God, help us to know that you are close, that you love us, that this is yours. Pray that you would speak through the words that I've prepared today because, um, God, you know what we all need to hear and receive. We love you, Father. In your name we pray, amen. So this is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'm just going to read that and you guys can read along on phones or screens or actual Bibles in your hands, whatever you have. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now this is something called a summary passage, and it's not that unique. These happen in kind of a recurrent pattern throughout the book of Acts, and They kind of follow this pattern where we read that the people come together in prayer and seeking the Lord, and then the Holy Spirit comes and moves in a way that is very distinctive, involves miraculous signs and wonders. And then one of the apostles or leaders of the church explains what's going on and why. And then we get these summary passages that are just kind of like a little vignette that says. And this is what life looks like now, in light of all of that. And in this summary passage in Acts 2, what has just happened before this is the Holy Spirit has just come and Peter has explained to people what it all means. And right before this, we read that 3,000 new people have just been added to this community of believers. And in this passage, we see this description of the early church living their lives together oriented around four things. Learning from the teaching of those who had been with Jesus. So the apostles teaching fellowship or life shared together where possessions and resources in particular are shared generously among them. The breaking of bread and gathering for meals together and prayer. And this wasn't just how things were when they like came together for church once a week. This wasn't an event. We see these words like every day they continued to meet together and they had everything in common. This was what their entire lives had become oriented around. And this way of living where people share intimate community, where everyone's needs are met, where people are gathering together around tables and experiencing joy in each other's presence, experiencing awe at the wonders that God is doing. It sounds pretty beautiful, doesn't it? But I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we really stop and try to envision like the daily lived reality of life and community like this, we've got to acknowledge something that might present a challenge for us. I think that really living this kind of way would involve a lot of releasing our ideas of control, of loosening our grip on our own individuality, on our perceived rights to our own space, our own stuff, and our own autonomy. So here's a question for us. What could lead a group of people to actually live like this? Now remember, in a summary passage like this, the key to understanding what's going on is the stuff that came before it. So to really understand how they got here, we really need to understand who they are and what brought them to this place. So who is... This early church. Now obviously some of these people are the apostles, the people that we've previously known as the disciples. They were the ones that lived and followed, lived with, and followed after Jesus throughout his whole ministry. They were his closest friends. They shared so much time with him. Some of them were his actual family. His mother and his brothers were part of this community. Others were people who had been healed by Jesus from disease or disability. Some of them had been freed from the oppression of demons that were causing harm to them. Some of them had been freed from the oppression of these society norms that pushed them aside that told them that because of who they are, because of something about them, they were less than, they were unworthy of God's love or community. Some of them sat with Jesus at the Last Supper when he told them that he was going to give his own body and blood for them. And some of them watched in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was betrayed and arrested and taken away to be unjustly tried and murdered. A few of them wept at the foot of the cross while he died crying out, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Some were the women who were the first witnesses to his resurrection, the first to speak the truth of his victory over death, who were disbelieved until he appeared again and proved the truth of their words by the wounds on his hands. Some of them spent 40 days with him after his resurrection when he shared his final words about the kingdom, And equipped them with the message that he was preparing them to carry out to the rest of the world. Some of them were the ones who watched amazed and confused when he just went right back up into heaven. And then they gathered together and prayed and waited for this Holy Spirit that he had promised them. And some of them were in the room when the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit came through, and there were flames above their heads, and their tongues were loose to speak the glory of God in all kinds of languages that they did not know or understand. And some of them were the people on the outside who heard all of this commotion and came and asked what was going on, who were shocked when they saw these common Gentiles that nobody expected much from speaking in all kinds of different languages. And some of them were the ones who were standing there disoriented and confused when Peter stood up and he explained what it meant, that Jesus, the one that they had just rejected and crucified was exactly who he said he was, that he was the Son of God, the Messiah the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies, the Savior who had come to liberate Israel, not just from Roman rule, but from the oppression of their own sin. And the last of these were these 3,000 people that had literally just heard Peter's words And the scripture says they were cut to the heart and they responded by repenting and being baptized and received the Holy Spirit. And they were just starting to figure out what it means to live with this knowledge that Jesus is Lord. These are the people we're talking about. This was the early church. So we asked this question earlier, what could lead a group of people to actually live the way is described in Acts 2? And I think the answer is found in the one thing every one of these people had in common. They had all in one way or another had an encounter with the spirit of the living God and they had come to understand that Jesus is Lord. I'm gonna say that again. The one thing that united this very diverse, disparate group of people Was that they had encountered the spirit of the living God and come to understand that Jesus is Lord. Over these last few weeks I have been spending a lot more time in worship and that might sound very spiritual but I promise it's a lot more human. It's stuff like when I'm just suddenly overwhelmed by the beauty of a sunset or I see these little purple crocuses popping up in my yard where the ground just looks frozen and dead, or when I see my children actually really loving and caring for each other. Sometimes that feels miraculous. (laughs) But it's these moments where I just feel this gratitude rising up, and I'm just very aware of how thankful I am to just be alive and, and notice these moments of beauty. And there's this awareness of God's goodness and presence in all of it. And I'll be honest that I have gone through some extended seasons of my life when worshiping, like really bringing myself to worship was actually really hard for me. And I think this might be true of some of you too. There have been times where I have experienced hurt within the church. There have been times where I have been in a place of just kind of confusion and doubt based on seeing other people who call the same Jesus Lord whose lives just didn't look like they showed the fruit of the Holy Spirit who I had seen hurt me or other people. And it felt confusing and it created this like cynicism and even numbness. And I've been really thankful that over these last few weeks, I've just felt Jesus closer and I've been very aware of his presence. And the other day I was standing in my kitchen, just kind of thinking and praying about what I believe God is doing in our community. And I was preparing to teach today. And I remembered this Maverick City music song called You're Welcome in This Place. And I started singing the bridge. Now that you are here, we have everything we need. Now that you are here, we give everything we have now that you are here we have everything we need now that you are here we give everything we have and i don't know guys those words just brought me to my knees because i think that's it i think that is why the early church looked like it did they had just experienced this powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Many of these people, they were with Jesus when he told them, I'm going away, but it's better for you if I do that because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, your counselor, your advocate. And I'm sure if they were, to be in that room with Jesus and hear that, I feel like it would have been really hard to trust that that was true. I feel like it would have been really hard to believe that anything could be better than just sitting in the physical presence of Jesus in the flesh. But then it happened. He died and he rose again and he ascended back to his father and they waited for this thing that he told them about that they really couldn't even begin to understand. And then the spirit came like like a mighty rushing wind blowing right through all of their structured and defined ways of practicing religion by following rules. And he blew right through all of their ways of living and family and community that were defined by these like separations and hierarchies of power and proper society. He blew right through all of their ways of managing their possessions and their property and their resource, just disrupting and pulling apart all of their expectation and understanding about how everything is supposed to work. Now that he is here, They have everything they need. Now that he is here, they can give everything they have. Now they realize they don't have to spend their lives chasing after position or status or power because Jesus is over all and through all and in all. He is Lord and in his kingdom, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Now they understand that this freedom from the oppression of sin is real because death could not hold him. And now his spirit is in them. Now they're learning they can gather around a table and have a meal together, not to try to figure out who's the most important by the seat that they're sitting in, but so that they can all be nourished in body and spirit together, remembering the body of Jesus broken for them and the blood of Jesus poured out for them. They're learning they can even sit at the same table, bumping elbows and sharing bread with all kinds of people. They have always been told they have to keep at a distance because in the kingdom of God, they're all equals. They're all brothers and sisters. Now they can see that their resources and their possessions are not theirs to hold tightly for security or control, but they're theirs to give freely to alleviate poverty and need and draw people into a life lived together. I've been reading this commentary on the book of Acts that I love. It's by an author and theologian named Willie James Jennings, who is an associate professor of systematic theology and Africana studies at Yale Divinity School. And I love the way he describes this new shared life of the early church. He says this, people caught up in the love of God, not only begin to give thanks for their daily bread, but daily offered to God whatever they had that might speak that gracious love to others. What is far more dangerous than any plan of shared wealth or fair distribution of goods and services is a God who dares impose on us divine love. Such love will not play fair. In the moment we think something is ours or our people's, that same God will demand we sell it, give it away, or offer more of it in order to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, or shelter the homeless, using it to create the bonds of shared life. These bonds of shared life challenged possessiveness, and eliminated need. They broke through all of the boundaries of social class and race and ethnicity and gender and ability. And that shared life together, they came together in large groups in the temple courts to listen to teaching. And then they came together in smaller groups in each other's homes to seek God in prayer. These bonds of shared life brought them around each other's tables living together with glad and sincere hearts and as they lived together like that, other people noticed. People that were outside this newly forming Christian community saw something distinctive and beautiful and appealing. And we read that as they lived their lives in this way that created favor in the people around them. As they lived their lives in awe of these miraculous signs of wonders that the Holy Spirit was doing in their community, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this wasn't like some church growth strategy or some campaign to get more giving and build a bigger platform. This was lives being transformed and rescued by the very real love of Jesus and the spirit of the living God. People being saved and the kingdom of God expanding exponentially. All because of the way the church lived and loved each other. This was the church in its beginnings. And as people who are still trying to follow the same savior today, Still trying to invite and live into that kingdom, it's important for us to understand what we come from. But what does it mean for us today? How could or should it affect the way we live our lives here and now as followers of Jesus, both our individual lives and our lives as a community? I think we need to understand and acknowledge that the Holy Spirit that was poured out on those people and transformed their life and community, and honestly, the rest of the world, it's the same Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us today. We have access to that very same power and that very same presence. And He invites us into that kind of life but it requires something of us. And I think we need to decide whether we resist or surrender to the presence and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. There's one particular thing that I think is important for us to pay attention to about the way this early Christian community lived with everything in common that should inform the way that we live as a community today. It was not as simple as this like, everybody just pool all of our resources, take everything you have and put it all in the same place and then divide it all equally so we all have the same stuff and nobody has to think too hard about it. It wasn't that. And it also wasn't just give to the church and then the church and the leaders in the church, they'll figure out where to meet different needs in the community around us. It was so much more intimate than that. It was so much deeper, it involved this fellowship that is described as something much deeper than even friendship. It involved vulnerability and intimacy, gathering around tables and sharing lives together. It involved knowing each other well enough and living in close enough proximity to know who had need and who had more than enough and then directly addressing the known needs through releasing and generosity. And I think we've got to acknowledge something about that. That kind of living crushes pride. If I am, when we're filled with pride, we can't admit when we have a need and ask for help. And when we're filled with pride, we can't release the illusion of control that comes from believing we deserve what we have more than somebody else does. My pride tells me I should feel shame if the work of my hands doesn't produce enough to provide for myself or for my people. But the Spirit of God tells me that I am a beloved, valued, necessary part of the family of God that I can bring the best of what I have in time, talent, and treasure and trust that my needs will be met as the needs of those around me are met to the glory of God. And my pride tells me that I've worked hard to get what I have, that I've earned it and it's mine, and that it's right for me to go ahead and buy those really expensive clothes or those status symbol shoes or that new and trendy piece of technology because that's what I need to fit into the spaces that I'm in or that it's right for me to just put all that money away for my kid's future. But the spirit of God tells me that I'm a beloved, valued, necessary part of the family of God and that I can surrender the best of what I possess in time, talent, and treasure and trust that my needs will still be met as the needs of those around me are met to the glory of God. The Holy Spirit of God is with us, church. Now that he is here, we have everything we need. Now that he is here, we can give everything we have. Will we resist or surrender to the Holy Spirit as he leads us. Because here's the thing, surrendering can get really messy. It feels very risky and uncomfortable, maybe even foolish. But now that God is here, we have everything we need. Now that he is here, we can give everything we have. Let's pray. Father, will you open our hearts, make us aware of your presence? Would you free us from all of the things that hold us back from really fully surrendering to the invitation of your spirit to live as people liberated from bondage to all ideas about how things are supposed to work, how we're supposed to possess things and take care of ourselves. God, lead us forward as a community. Help us to be a people who embodies the presence of your spirit, who lives open-handed, who gives and shares freely, who receives freely. And I pray that the way that we live together and love one another would invite other people into your presence, into the knowledge that you are Lord, that you love them, that you are alive. Thank you for your goodness, Father, and your faithful presence. In your name we pray, amen.